Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media. We are at LonghornPod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, Longhorn Republic Podcast, where we do our weekly post-game live stream. There won't be one this week because, well, there's not a game, but there will be one every week that we have a football game. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who flexes after doing everyday activities, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Flex in the shower, flex when I shave. I actually flexed. After I spilt some coffee and my kitchen floor uh, stood over it, flexed on top of it, um, basically, it, it will now understand the fear and never jump out of my coffee cup again. That obviously, big CB15 tried to employ that against Oklahoma. We just needed two or three more overtimes. Now, Gerald, I don't want to get into the sadness. We'll get there. We don't need to jump right in. Before we get into the Texas OU rehash, uh, how's everything with you? I mean, we're in fall Things are going well. You got the new new guys settling in. Uh, it's pumpkin spice season. How is life for you? Like a like a wise man once said, um, you know, all of the important things are good. Like everything important in life is good. You know, the kids are good. You know, three year olds are three year olds. But yeah, everything's good, man. My wife made some uh, some pumpkin spice oatmeal over the weekend that I found particularly mm. yummy. I'm not really a pumpkin spice guy overall. Uh, but I feel like, like, cause it's just, people just try to put it in too much stuff, but like oatmeal yeah. feels like an appropriate vessel for pumpkin spice. Like it's, it's just a thing. And I'm, I'm a fan. I, so I'm, I'm typically anti-team pumpkin spice. Let me say this. We're usually no free ads disregard. If you watch our live streams and you see me pitching, trying to get the big 12 official seltzer, Natty light seltzer to also sponsor this podcast. That's entirely different, but I'm going to give a quick plug here, folks. If you live near a Trader Joe's, go to Trader Joe's and get their new fall seasonal. I believe it's called the, uh, the pumpkin curry simmer sauce um unbelievable we just threw some chicken in there some rice uh in in a uh instapot if you will um and let it kind of let it uh pressure cook in there and it was amazing um so that that simmer sauce is what it's called but it's a kind of pumpkin curry flavor unbelievable uh really really upped it i actually saved some of the sauce i've used it on multiple things since just because it's a uh, a flavor bomb in my mouth so uh yeah quick quick plug there for the trader joe's condiment uh i live and die by the everything but the bagel seasoning so i, I it's mm-hmm. if that runs out in our home it's uh, basically we can burn the place down no uh speaking of burning <laughs> things down texas lost to the oklahoma sooners in not one not two not three but four Overtimes, 53-45. to 45. Texas gave up 31 points in regulation and, and once again had to put together a late comeback. This one uh, came up correctly, but they came up short in overtime. Went four overtimes thanks to a well, well-timed miss from OU's normally automatic kicker. Uh, Ellinger threw an interception after getting behind the chains to end the game. And that, that was kind of the story of it, Kyle, is... Unforced errors, uh, continual mistakes, and a simple lack of execution from Texas kind of doomed them to this loss. So overall initial thoughts, Kyle, like we are a couple of days removed now. The emotions have settled. Like where are you at? Where are you you thinking about this game? I mean, this is a game that 
OU fans will feel like, hey, there were some things that could have gone different for us, and this wouldn't even have had to go to overtime. And they're probably right. This is also a game in which Texas fans very much could say there were a couple things that could have gone differently for us, and we wouldn't have even had to go to overtime, right? But we did, and, and once you get to an overtime shootout, and especially multiple overtimes, it's it's anyone's game, right? It's a toss-up at that point. It's always tough. Um, a four-overtime thriller inherently means there were some great performances on both sides. There were some bad ones uh, as well. But I think, you know, I, I basically boiled this down to the fact that, you know, inability to capitalize on defensive wins, O-line struggles, passing accuracy issues. Uh, we can't skirt over that. Um, you know, uh, OU's defensive holding that they always do got called a lot, didn't get called sometimes. Um, punting issues and boneheaded plays from from players who know better, right? Those are my bullet points. If if any one, maybe two of those things happens differently or even happens less, um, I, I think it's a different game. And I think we'll, we'll talk in some detail, but that's just kind of my high-level 10,000-foot take if, if I had to paint some themes and I did I did write an article painting some themes for Horn Sports this week over there you can check that out but um yeah it, it's 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 not it's it hurts because for the second straight week you walk away feeling like there were so many things that could have gone different even little things or or a series of many small things or a couple big things and Texas wins that game and that's just it's tough it's tough to for 10 straight years sit here feeling that way however many dozens of times we have um it it just it just it wears thin yeah and that's like and i put it out there on twitter like texas is like standing on the corner right like texas is standing on the corner and they just got to turn and and we can have a longer conversation about whether or not they're capable of turning with the current staff that's not what we're going to talk about but like this is a really talented group of players that i think is no less talented than the guys that they were lined up against on Saturday and just absolutely like just did not rise to the call in some spots. Now the, the offense came up big late in the game. The defense kind of kept them in it for a lot of the game. But like when push comes to shove, uh, this is, this is like a, it's, a half of a team for a big chunk of the game, uh, but you don't know which half it's going to be. And that to me is, 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 frustrating confusing but long story short like texas just didn't seem to have it uh, all in the tank on saturday and so uh, we got to start with the offense because i think the offense um is is what drives the ship a lot so texas 428 total yards on the day 287 through the air 141 on the ground sam ellinger accounted for all of the passing and most of the rushing in that game going 30 of 53 for 287 through the air, two touchdowns, two interceptions. The first one, um, was not a great one. It, it shouldn't, I don't know. There's a lot to be said about these interceptions, uh, in, in kind of Sam's placement, but again, we'll have a greater conversation about that. Uh, 23 carries 112 yards, four touchdowns on the ground. Uh, both interceptions did come in the second half. Uh, of the game, one was kind of during the comeback, but the defense uh, was able to overcome that. And then uh, the second one was what ended the game in overtime, uh, going second and goal from the 19. Sam kind of threw up a prayer on a down he didn't really need to. Uh, and the defense came away with it. So uh, we have to start with Sam because there, there's like it's this game and, and really most a lot of games this season outside of UTEP have really been a tale of two Sams where you've got Sam who's struggling in some spots, and then you've got last two drives to Sam. And that, to me, for a guy who's been the starter now full-time for three years, just seems like it seems like it shouldn't be happening. 
Yeah, Gerald, you're absolutely not wrong, right? And I think for the second straight week, you saw with TCU, you saw a quarterback who, who really struggled um, with his accuracy. I don't know if it's a mechanical issue. I, I know Sam's never been the the best passer on the run. I remember when we had Kyler Murray versus Sam, you basically had two different styles at that point of their career. Of Murray would run. He would absolutely run past the line of scrimmage, but he loved to run to open up the downfield pass and he could throw and reset his feet really well. And Sam was a guy at that point in his career, we kind of said, why can't he, you know, find a receiver down the field and throw really well on the run? Um, why does he always look to just once he starts running, keep running. Right. And I think we kind of saw that because a couple of times he tried to throw on the run and, 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 not that he was running when he shouldn't have. We're going to talk about the offensive line uh, at probably at length in a minute. Um, he was running out of necessity many times, but it looked like Sam has proven in four years we know what he is and what he isn't. And I don't think a quarterback out on the run who's trying to make throws without his feet set across his body. I mean, there was a couple throws. like a, I remember a Josh Moore kind of 35-ish yarder that that he just underthrew by a good eight yards because he was trying to you know move and throw it on the run. He just he doesn't seem to be that quarterback, right? So that's that's one thing. There's another thing that actually when his feet were set and he was in the pocket, he still struggled some on the short to intermediate routes, which is what, what we saw kind of alarmingly rear his head uh, in maybe before, but especially in the TCU game. Um, I think Pro Football Focus had the stat that he's down like 30% on uh, passes under 10 yards in the air, right? Under 10 uh, yards of airtime, he's just missing some of those, which which isn't he was over 70% his first three seasons. So um, not really what, or the first two seasons, I guess, take his freshman year out. Not really what you expect from him. So the accuracy issues are one thing, without a doubt. The second thing is is this trend now we've seen in three Big 12 games of end of game Sam. And I, and I think you have some thoughts, Gerald. I have some stats. We can, we can dive into that. But if you want to just start with a macro, look. Sam struggled at multiple times in multiple quarters to throw the ball. He didn't have the best protection. They didn't establish a running game to help him. Receivers didn't really go out of their way yet. Again, we're saying to get open on scrambles, to get open, to help him to catch, you know, balls that were maybe thrown a little poorly, but they could get a hand on. Um, and then, you know, he, he, was looking to throw the ball. And, and when he kind of broke it down and said, you know what, I can beat teams with my legs and just went into hero mode and I have to win at all costs, that actually was more effective. And he he, he showed um, some success kind of going back to the greatest hits from a few years ago and just, just looking to run first and throw when the defense started planning for that when it was a little bit easier, the numbers were a little bit more to his advantage. And, and he threw the ball okay a couple times. There was a pump fake uh, where he looked a guy off and then hit black at about 25 yards deep that was probably his best throw of the day um but he missed a good five or, or ten that that you know could have been big difference making throws yeah and it, there was the one that you talked about where he missed missed two missed two guys running mesh like right at the sticks and yeah. overthrew it and that's but like i think for for me and my my impression of what's going on with sam like sam is a guy who like when he's feeling it, he's feeling it, and if he's out of rhythm, he's he's not feeling it. And I think he feels it the most at this point when the offense is going fast. When mm. the offense is going fast, when the offense is going at tempo, Sam seems to be at his best. And I think when, and I'll just go ahead and say it, when I think Tom Herman's preferences take over on the offensive game plan, you know, we see this, we've seen this now three weeks in a row in the third quarter. Texas tries to take a little bit of the air out of the ball in the third quarter. 
and the offense sputters. I mean, Texas did not score. I don't think, I think they may have gotten one first down in the third quarter against OU. It may, may not have, I think it may have been three consecutive three and outs. Um, like they didn't, they, they punted on all of their drives offensively because they were out of rhythm. And, and granted, you know, there was a holding penalty that killed them early, but like when Sam is very clearly a guy who needs to be in the flow and needs to be in rhythm and needs to be, you know, timing and, and he set most of his completions are, I think at least two of his completions on long completions on the first kind of comeback touchdown drive were immediately following a long scramble where it was like a 17 yard run and like a 20 yard completion and then a 12 yard run like a 15 yard completion so like when he is able to be in the flow and force defenses to respect him as a runner that's when Sam's at his best and I just don't know if they're putting him in position if if they run another speed option with Sam Ellinger I'm going to slap someone uh, Sam, I love Sam Ellinger. I think he's an incredible competitor, uh, but he's not a speed option quarterback. And I also, right. I, if they don't spend a big chunk of the next couple of weeks working on when to pull the ball on his own read and when to give it, yeah. uh, I yeah. I may actually I may actually scream. Yeah, I mean, a guy for a guy who finished with 112 rushing yards, he probably left 50 on the table on two zone reads that were wide open. I mean, wide open early in the game. Obviously, the, the Keontae Ingram fumble, we'll talk about it a little bit, but I'll just say that through our tempo from our running game, when, when we had a couple of good runs and, and, and we just needed to get something going, it was two zone reads on the same drive that basically killed it when it should have been pulled and it wasn't, and, and it didn't look like our line got a, a lot of push after that and our running backs had a lot of room uh, the rest of the game after that, right? I don't know if that's a, you want to talk about momentum, but I like to talk about Sam here. So what you're talking about with tempo, Gerald, I think there's end of game, it is tempo, and it is probably the purest form of a Yurcich office, and, and Sam seems to like and, and, and really like either the pressure or the tempo or a combination of both, and maybe it's defenses going into something of a prevent, but you have to look at the stats, and then you can take your own kind of opinion from there. So if I go back and look at the three Big 12 games, right, and, and I'm talking you know Texas Tech, TCU, and, and OU, obviously, and, and UTEP, obviously not a Big 12 game, so taking that out. Uh, Sam has thrown the ball 30 times in the last five minutes of those games. He's 21 for 30. If you take out the last overtime, he's actually 20 for 27 at like a 74% clip, which are Colt McCoy numbers. But still, at 70%, 21 for 30 for 248 yards, five touchdowns. He rushed another 11 times for 62 yards and two touchdowns. His his non Every you know play of the game before that numbers are significantly lower. He's passing at about fifty nine percent compared to seventy. Um, his his you know yardage is yards per pass are quite a bit uh, down from that. His touchdowns he only has. I mean he still has eleven other touchdowns, which is very good. Um, but you know again if you're looking at the scope of an entire game, that's a large percentage. Rushing yards again you you have about a fourth of of uh, a third of all of his yards for the season coming in that time. Um, in half of his his touchdown. So, I mean, you're clearly seeing a guy who is thriving in T minus five minutes plus overtime, the, the winning time basically of a football game. I don't know. And, and that's why Mike Yersich makes millions of dollars and Tom Herman himself millions more. I don't know. How you take that, extrapolate that and find that identity that Herman was saying they don't have somehow in year four, week four, um, but find that identity from, those numbers. Cause I can't be the only one who sees that. Obviously everyone knows this. I've just quantified it here. Now, what do they do with it? Right? How do they build that offense? Do, do they turn themselves into a pure tempo in the next two weeks? And then they come out and, and run that against Baylor. And, and I think that to me, like 
it, that's an offensive identity. It can be if you want it to be. Now, you're going to give up a ton of points, and I think maybe that's why Herman's not a fan of that offensive identity or, or why people – because, again, you saw Texas Tech do it where they put up they put up basketball numbers every week and so mm-hmm. did their opponents. So, like, mm-hmm. I maybe that's why that there – but at some point, like, I think Texas is talented enough to, like, break some wills early in games or if, if Texas goes three straight drives at tempo and scores and the defense comes up with one stop in there, that feels insurmountable. Like, so I think there's a, there's a longer conversation to be had about offensive identity. And I think some of it also goes to Texas's inability to run the ball where Bijan Robinson had five carries for 17 yards, not a great average Keontae Ingram, three carries for 15 yards, better average, but still not a ton of opportunity there. They only running backs only rushed the ball. What? Eight times in that game not a not a uh not a balanced attack now Ingram did have four receptions for 21 yards and a touchdown but like still when Sam Ellinger is your leading rusher by basically 100 yards and has five four or five times more carries than your running backs like that's just not a not a good game plan at least from my perspective yeah, I mean, we talked about we don't want to see that from Senior Sam. We don't want to see that unless we have to see that. And I think this game was an example of when you have to see that because uh, the, the craziest stat, right, and, and the numbers when I when you look at that really skew a bit when you take into account the fourth quarter. Going into the fourth quarter, Gerald, do you know who our leading rusher on the team was yardage-wise? I do not. It was Keontae Ingram's, at that point, one carry in the first quarter that was for 13 yards that he fumbled on. That was our leading rusher. Sam was in, you know, the single digits at that point with some pluses, but also some sacks and some minuses. But Keandre Ingram's next carry was minus two. So our leading rusher in the beginning of the fourth quarter was two carries for 11 yards. That was that was our, our highest yardage. So obviously Sam did some incredible things in the fourth quarter and overtime to to bolster those numbers to get over 100. Um, but, you know, just, like I said, it's just it, clearly Sam went to to, you know, hero mode. I need to win this. I need to do something different. But I, I think, you know, you, you, you look at it. If Keontae Ingram doesn't fumble, we got a push on that first run. We got 13 yards before he fumbled it. Uh, when Bijan got his first carry, he had about five yards and he tripped on his lineman's legs. I kind of think something in the like psyche of our offensive line and running back room broke and in our coach's confidence in that unit, right? Um, after our first couple runs, just, you know, we beat ourselves basically. I mean, tripping after five yards, I'm fine with, but Bijan never really got anything going there. I, I, I will say you mentioned Keontae. I think, I think Bijan uh, also had two catches for 40 yards. So, um, you know, contributed there, but I, you're right. Like the fact that we have these good running backs that we know are talented, but they can't get anything going is, is probably, the most alarming trend so far. Not that Texas has to be a team that runs the ball 40 times a game for 250 yards and eschew everything else to get to those numbers, right? I'm not saying that, but you have to have a threat or just come out and, and be a five wide team and Sam will run it when he can run it and don't even have, you know, a running back out there. I, I, I'm obviously being a bit facetious, but I mean, it just, the, the, the threat of the running game was, was utterly non-existent and, and you saw OU feast on that with the way they got after Sam. Cause they knew he was dropping back every time to pass the ball. Um, and I think a lot of that falls on the offensive line in both of those cases, but I mean, it changed the entire trajectory of the game. Once they went one dimensional. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time on this podcast, like when you're one dimensional, the, defense gets the the natural advantage now 
the receivers who he had some words for a couple weeks ago uh, played, I would say, significantly better. I think Jordan Whittington uh, showed people why he was one of, if not the bell cows of that uh, of that recruiting class, at least from an in-state perspective. Ten receptions, 65 yards, ran some really good routes. Uh, Josh Moore, again, at the top of the, the yardage pool, 88 receptions, 83 yards, and a score. Brendan Eagles. Uh, did we, I don't think we paid the Eagles tax this week. He may have ran a bad route, but I think we didn't we didn't have a drop from him. I was more critical than most. I felt like on on Twitter or in our our group chat or anything is is that um, there was a deep ball early from Sam. I want to say in the first quarter, second drive, somewhere around there, um, and when we were deciding, we wanted to take some shots to try to open that that take the top off that OU defense. And and it wasn't the best throw from Sam. It wasn't perfect, but it felt like Eagles looked back at it and then kind of took a foot off the gas. I'm not going to call that the Eagles tags. It wasn't perfect receiver play. Maybe he, he sells out for it and he makes an unbelievable catch, or maybe he, he really tries and still can't get to it. But it just kind of, that would be the only thing I saw from Eagles that was like a, huh, could, could he have done more there? But again, no one else seemed to really um, be be faulting him for that. So maybe I, I'm being overly critical. And I believe there was a really bad example of blocking on a wide receiver screen for Brennan uh, Eagles. That yeah. absolutely, I, I got in trouble for yelling at the TV this week because apparently uh, I was a little too intense. And I'm like, you don't want to teach your kid that. Maybe I do. Who knows? Uh, so again, the wide receiver room, not a ton to report there. Uh, Kai money came up with the most important pass interference call since Quan Cosby. Right. I think, uh, we can go right. and say that. Uh, so Kai money got some play. Jake Smith apparently is hurt. Uh, so Whittington and schooler and Kai money held down the inside spot. I think my biggest, and this is a schematic thing. Again, there wasn't enough tight end for me. There wasn't enough, especially when you're trying to exploit a basically full foot advantage on a guy like Jared Wiley, who showed up on the stat sheet, but not as much as I would have liked to see a guy like that. Like when, when he's six, seven and the tallest defender, OU has is six foot. Like, I don't know why you don't spam that guy. Like why you don't just like we're And you know who did that to win the game? Yeah. Spencer Rattler. That's it. I, I was going to say that. I mean, you saw uh, Stogner had six catches for 56, but if you just watched the end of the game, you would have thought he had 26 in that game because it was the only person that Rattler was looking at. Actually, in fact, he, he would have had a touchdown in the, the second overtime, I believe, um, on the goal line when they when they called him down for the, uh, the dive. I think he tried to pass on that same drive and just overlooked a dude incredibly wide open. No one went with him uh, on a, on a, on a drag route to the, to the corner um, because he only had eyes for Stogner, which again, when, when you're that big, uh, your quarterback should look to you in, in certain situations. But, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I would have loved, and I kind of expected after what we saw Iowa state due to OU um, with, with their kind of bevy of, tight ends, main, uh, mainly Charlie Kohler, but uh, I thought Wiley, maybe even some Brewer. But th- the thing that I would say is, you so you have uh, Tarek Black with one catch for 24 yards. There was two um, throws that he left, let's say, another 55, 60 yards on the table. One Sam put on the ground, and he tried to catch it. He got a 25-yard gain after he caught it you know, on the ground. They ended up overruling it and negating 25 yards there. And then there was another where he had that exact seam route um, that you're talking about. And, and Tarek Black is not tiny. I think he's 6'3 or 6'4. Um, he's he's not a small receiver by any means. Even if he's 6'2, he's so much bigger than their secondary. And they had him on a seam route. Um, at Sam, you know, read it, 
timed it, threw it at 13 yards, looking for 18 yards. Um, and it would have probably gone for 30 if, if he, or maybe more, I don't know exactly how fast black is in the open field would have been a good chance to see that, but Sam missed him just flat missed him. So, you know, again, even if it's not the tight end, you got to abuse that slot. And I'll just say this. Whittington, I think he had five catches in the first half. The fact that he was such a big part of the offense is amazing. I'm so glad to see it. I think he has some football moves. He only had, you know, six and a half yards of carry, but a lot of those were screens that he just turned willed into 60 yards out of, you know, nothing. Um, But there was probably a good 15 or 20 yards where it looked like he was down out of that 63 that he just drugged people, you know, fell forward, broke tackles. Uh, He he looked the the real deal. I, I am dying for a game where we have a Whittington and Smith come, you know, uh, competing slots and make defenses decide how to do that. Like that's the one thing that we have to think about is Marcus Washington still hurt. He got in late, had a drop, but, um, isn't playing, you know, uh, we, we obviously didn't have Smith. Um, we, we, we're still not at a hundred percent of our receiving core this season. And, and, and you have to give a little bit of credit to our pass or I guess a benefit of the doubt to our passing game because of that. Um, but you know, I would still like to see us executing because it's not bad players that we're rolling out. I think, I think there's still a lot of meat left on that bone. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of the misses and the miscommunications came and you mentioned it earlier when Sam was not comfortable in the pocket, when Sam had to yeah. reset to deal with some trash in the pocket. And, and again, when you've got a, when you've got a dual threat quarterback, that shouldn't be as big of an issue, but every down is not a good look. And we do have to talk about the offensive line. Um, some boneheaded plays from from some um, from some experienced guys. The Kerstetter one upon a rewatch, it's tough because he was really trying to go down and push a pile a little bit, and he didn't realize they had blown the whistle. And I think that one was like a, that one was like eh, like it's. It's a letter of the law, but it, not a spirit of the law. And again, the clown show that is Big 12 officiating continues. Junior Angulao had a really poorly timed uh, penalty as well. All penalties are poorly timed, but that one seemed especially bad. And then Christian Jones, uh, two holding calls, one in late in the fourth quarter, one in overtime. And the second one actually resulted in that second and 19 where Sam tried to force something and ended in an interception. So I think like that forces Sam to play hero ball. And Sam is good when we when he plays hero ball, but I don't know if Texas is good when Sam has to play hero ball. And that's that's the conversation. It's like they shouldn't Sam shouldn't have to put the cape on and win the game for the team. Sam shouldn't have to do that because the rest of these guys should be good enough to get the job done. Yeah, and, and my comment at halftime was that Texas trailed seventeen to seventeen. Because they left points on the board. Both of those two plays you talked about. Angulao was, um, I think it was a, a third down drop. And then it looked like maybe we'll go for it on a, on a fourth and two. And then Angulao had that, uh, or fourth and one, had that false start that took them even out of field goal range. So they, they couldn't do anything and, and left it at 17-17. But the, the one that got us to 17 was the fact that Ellinger had made a third down scramble. If it was 16 yards or whatever it was, he got 15 and a half. They were on the half ready to go for it, and that's when Kerstetter ran up and had, you know, if you want to call it uh, a chintzy call, sure. But, again, like, you know you could have punched it in and gotten seven there, and you got three instead. So, basically, at least at minimum, you just dropped, you know, seven points. You could have been up a touchdown heading in with the, the field goal only getting you three instead of seven in the, the you know, the, the – um, the other play resulting, you know, taking our chance to get seven as well. So, you know, it, that's tough. The, the plays you can single out. Sure. Of course. Um, 
I think Angulao also, by the way, was the guy whose whose player blocked the field goal in in the fourth overtime. But by the time you get to fourth overtime, you're everyone's tired. Your big guys are the most tired. And that, when we talk about tempo, the offensive line is the only like the biggest concern for me, right? Because if you're running up and down a field, the, the guy who it's the guys who it's hardest on is is the, the big hog mollies, right? The offensive linemen who have to run. If Texas doesn't feel that they have enough depth that they can even try anyone else when clearly we're having some ineptitude, right? When when you know Christian Jones and Okafor and, and, and a couple players just have struggled on that right side and we don't feel like we have options, maybe that is part of the the I'm just thinking out loud your rationale for not going tempo all the time because you, you don't feel like you have enough where you know, if anyone gets tired or cramps up or whatever, where you don't trust any, we said we wanted, you know, Herb Hand wants to have seven or eight guys that he trusts. I don't know if he has three right now, um, to be perfectly honest in this unit. I mean, it just looks like, uh, Cosme has looked fine, right? I think he's our, he's our dependable left tackle. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been, he's been good. I mean, on a line that's bad, he, he maybe looks uh, better or the best for sure. Angelau was a guy who we just slotted in there and assumed would be great. And he's been good, but he's had some issues as well. Kerstetter, I wish we had a center so that he could play right tackle. Cause that just that right tackle position has killed us in every game this year, uh, taking UTEP out in every big 12 game this year, but definitely in this OU game. I mean, it wasn't just Christian Jones. It wasn't just the right tackle. Their their defensive line consistently whipped our tail um, on things we saw last year with simple stunts and on you know just just bringing a slightly delayed blitz and on just beating linemen one on one on all of those phases. And that's why Sam was scrambling probably sixty five or seventy percent of his dropbacks. But um, the reason they got all those sacks and killed drives and gave us you know unfavorable you know down in distance behind the chains is. Because our offensive line, and right now the limiting factor of our offense, Sam's, you know, accuracy issues, running backs not being perfect with ball security, receivers having a couple drops and receivers being being nicked up, all those things. The thing that is limiting our offense the most, the number one thing we need to fix in these two weeks, and we've said it before, is the offensive line. The It's impossible for your offense to find a rhythm if your offensive line... If, it's impossible for your offense to find a rhythm if your offensive line is not creating any sort of space for anybody to work. So, like, the the simple fact that the offensive line really is not is not creating any sort of push at the at the point of attack is is absolutely robbing the offense of being able to come up with a rhythm because you can't run, you can't set your feet, you can't make your reads, you can't do all those things that are important to an offense if the offensive line is getting pushed back a yard and a half, two yards. If you're able to create space with simple stunts if you're able to create space with just just your man man on man personnel and and Ronnie Perkins wasn't playing best defensive lineman OU has was not on the field so like that to me is really frustrating and, and I think again you brought up the the center thing like Kerstetter's best position is right tackle like yes. I think Texas Texas and, and not that he's not a good center but Texas is really at a minus at two positions because they haven't been able to find another center like Shaq gave you four years. Like, mm-hmm. how do you not find another guy? You know Shackelford's going to graduate at some point, so how do you not find a guy that's not your best right tackle to do that? And, and again, you, you, the, the opt-outs hurt, the injuries hurt, but, like, when sure. push comes to shove, it's inexcusable four years in that you don't have another guy that you can play at either of those positions that can hopefully shore some, some things up. And that, to me, is the biggest issue with the offense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when you look at third down conversions, when you look at multiple stats and you think about, 
it's easy to zoom out and look at a box score and say, then you need to fix that. You need to fix that on a macro level. When you, when you zoom in a little bit, almost all of those things, you can, you can find an offensive line component to why they got into that position, why it was a struggle. Sometimes literally, Oh, that was a, a boneheaded play on a lineman that took us out of scoring position. Right. Like, but also just, you know, why weren't we able to run? I put it way more on the offensive line than on the running backs execution. Like why, why was Sam scrambling offensive line? Why did we get in this down and distance? Oh, it's because we had, we were setting up this play and it was there, but Sam took a sack because he needed it a, a second more to develop or else it would have been an INT. It went from an INT to a, to a, a big gain play, but he needed that second. And in that second, you know, he got sacked because the O line couldn't give him a full three seconds or whatever. Right. Uh, I, you can look at almost any of the struggles and, 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 and tie it back. And, and again, I think TC whipping us with the three-man front, we hoped for improvement. Now you have a little time to do it with a bye week uh, coming up before B- Baylor, you know, assuming everything goes forward with that game. You, you have some time. It has to be fixed. Something has to happen. And Tom Herman said it, that, that they've got to find a way to fix the fixable things. I think it's great that the head coach four years in is trying to find a way to fix the fixable things. But... Texas has a week off, potentially two, depending on what eh, the heck happens in Waco with COVID, but they've got to figure it out in these one to two weeks how to get it together. So moving on to the defense, um, we said this on Twitter, and I had to mute an idiot OU fan that doesn't understand the concept of like analysis, but... (laughs) <laughs> For the second week in a row, and I'll just go and say it, the defense played well enough to win the team the game. Yes. The defense played well enough to win Texas the game. You hold the Lincoln-Riley offense to 31 points and turn them over three times. If you had, t- if you had told me that you turn over OU three times, I tell you Texas wins by three scores. If you tell me they turn over the OU offense... Lincoln Riley offense on three successive drives. They had three consecutive drives forcing a turnover. You should be up by 21 points immediately or at least 18. I mean, it's crazy. Like three straight drives, your defense forces a turnover. That's the point in the game where you separate yourself where they never get back in it. Absolutely. You you should have at a minimum 13 points. Like at a minimum 13 points. Like I'll give you I'll give you two field goals and a touchdown, but that's about as low as I'll go, right? Field goals get you beat in the Big 12, and we saw that. But um that to me is this is the story of the season thus far is that for two weeks in a row the defense answered the call I think now we can look at the third quarter and how poorly the defense played in the third quarter but then you look at the offense only coming up with 13 total yards and three three and outs in an entire quarter the defense got five minutes of rest in the entire third quarter not a good look and so that's really where the the offense kind of failed the defense. But then again, the defense stepped it up in the fourth quarter. Again, OU punted on all of their drives in the fourth quarter, allowing for this comeback to happen. And that, to me, like, I am just absolutely tired of two things. I'm tired of people blaming Chris Ash because they haven't watched football since 1986 and think you should win 21 to 14. And I'm tired of the offense and the offensive coaching staff squandering good performances from this defense. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and again, it, it, it's the difference between a person who looks at a game and, and analyzes it and a person who glances at it and makes rash assumptions without really, you know, breaking it down, thinking about it. And it, it, it's fine. If you are one of those people who made a rash assumption and said our defense is the reason we're not winning, um, it's okay. And, and one of the biggest things in our country in 2020 is the ability to say, I was wrong. 
I actually have changed my opinion based on the facts provided. So Gerald and I are going to provide you some of those facts. But again, just think about it. I, I talked about a three consecutive turnovers. The defense in that fourth quarter, like you're talking about, the only reason we got back in this game was four consecutive punts that they forced. Again, a Lincoln Riley offense, four consecutive punts. Think about you know, explosive UT offenses as we want to imagine them at their best. If you give me four straight times when they don't have the ball, uh, Texas got 14 points off of that. That's a minimum. You should at minimum be getting 14 points, right? That wasn't the case every time. They are a team that that's, you're talking about seven stops right there. Just your, just your ones that were in a row, but they are a team that had a goal line stand in the first drive where they let them get down uh, inside the four, inside the five. I think they're on the four yard line and they had a three play goal line stand. BJ Foster makes a great stop to hold them to a field goal. Those are wins right there was multiple times when they responded with a three and out a turnover a a forced punt with a punt themselves and a three and out at that and that can be deflating right Sam's interception his first one that was in regulation was a good long drive after the defense had had a three and out and had forced a stop if you're down two scores and your quarterback drives and you've just made a stop and you think okay this is our chance we can get back in it and then he throws an interception in the end zone I wouldn't fault anyone if you hang your head and you kind of come out a little deflated what did the defense do they immediately got another stop and again that's the reason we got to overtime so if you want to talk about anything about this game that what you need to be saying is wow the defense while imperfect while not perfect i'm not saying that, that they were flawless but they showed metal they showed backbone they rose to the occasion the only reason that we talked about you know what senior sam the leadership the hero mode the game winning mode at the end of the game the only reason our offense had a chance to be in position to write that narrative to potentially win a crazy shootout crazy comeback like we had earlier this season is because of the defense and if you can't see that you're not watching the same football as all the smart people i know you're going to give a points at modern football. The NFL is averaging more points than they have in the entire history of football. Like four winning SEC teams, which everybody holds up as the best conference in football, and probably rightfully so. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. It's probably not, but we'll have another conversation about that. Four of them gave up 28 or more points. Like four of the winners, more than half, two-thirds of the winners in the SEC gave up 28 to 48 points, right? Alabama gave up a billion yards to Ole Miss, right? Like football nowadays is an offensive game. And so coming up with three stops, three full stops, it's nuts. And and guys that like we, everybody was taking shots at BJ Foster two years ago. That guy came in and played a heck of a ball game. Like for the second week in a row, he played a heck of a ball game. A guy who didn't know he was starting until pregame when 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 Caden Stearns realized his toe, he was just limping. He couldn't go. That's when Foster found out he was the starter this week, and he was our leading tackler, and he, like I said, had that goal line stand on the first drive, and he wasn't perfect, but he was very good, and he laid his heart out on the field. Absolutely, and then you got a guy uh, who we, we even talked talk, – talked about early in the season to Marvin Overshone, who seems that he's not perfect. Don't hear me saying he's perfect. There were still some spots where he needs to grow as a linebacker, and that's probably a product of making a position move in fall camp rather than spring. Uh, but he can't 11 tackles, a tackle for loss, uh, an open field tackle that saved a touchdown, which was on a play that he probably allowed to happen. But again, I love the effort and an interception in a pass play that two weeks ago probably is completed that he made the right move. Like the, that play to me is the most remarkable play on why Demarvi and Overshone is going to be a dude at linebacker because he has, he has the body and skill and skill set to be a good linebacker, but he has the mind of a safety. 
And so before yeah. before he stepped back into the passing lane to make that interception, he checked for the he checked for the the underneath route first. He took yep. a step forward, checked for the underneath route, and then bailed. And that is perfect pass coverage when you're covering the RPO in the Big Twelve. And so Overshone's a guy that I think has a ton a ton of potential. And the linebackers really a group that we have been down on all year. Three of your top four tacklers, Overshone, Osai, and Mitchell. Those guys all had really good ball games. Mitchell had again had one play, but it, it's perfection's a myth, right? You don't have a perfect yeah. game, but ten tackles, a quarterback hurry, a forced fumble, like that—that that to me is a ball game. Yeah, and, and I don't want to go the whole time without talking about Joseph Osai, who had an incredible game yet again, and I think just looks like a guy who we need to savor because he's he's NFL he bound and probably early. He he's he's earning it, right? I mean, the play that he had to force the fumble, where you know it looks like bad Texas for a second, multiple missed tackles. 10 I think it was I think it was a 25 yard run was where he caught back up with him was 25 yards down the field and makes a strip you know to to negate a big play I remember the big 12 championship a couple years ago when when I think it was CD Lamb uh, made a big play and and uh Gary Johnson hustled down the field and made a strip you know 60 yards down the field I, that hustle makes you a fan favorite and Joseph Osai you know has continued to be that for me but I just want to say that you you said overshone you're exactly right right like that interception on Rattler rattled him it was one of a few plays that rattled him like Sam Ellinger gets in your head because he's a name he's a presence but who got five-star quarterback top 10 player in the country one of the all-time talked about recruits like ever benched in the game probably the first time in his life he's ever been benched think about that like the kid has always been the best player by exponents on any field he's been on he got benched like that's a defense, and that's a huge win. If you're Chris Ash and you see them pull Spencer Rattler for a very, very average Tanner Mordecai who couldn't crack the field against, you know, Jalen Hurts, who, while really good last year, also had a lot of turnover problems, and they would have, if he was that good, you know, would have probably seen the field last year, uh, got got Rattler benched, right? And, and that's a big deal. You could change, a, you know, a potential four years of misery against an OU quarterback if you capitalize on that. But again, defensive progress stalling out from the overall team and this this week it wasn't just the offense the special teams not liking not being talked about reared their ugly head and I'm just gonna say it once then we'll leave it at that but Jay Bulware though he played at Texas arrived at UT from OU Um, not calling him a mole or a spy or saying specifically that he was sent here to tank our team but the special teams did no favors to our defense either. Yeah. The, the, again, Texas continues to, to fumble the bag on special teams. And I think, uh, Jay Bulware kind of had some cheeky back and forth with, uh, with my, one of my least favorite Sooners of all time, Joe Mixon, uh, about his, his performance. And he kind of owned it. He was like, yeah, I, I he said, thanks for calling me out on it, Joe. But I also remember what you looked like when you started with me. So again, I, I he's taking it with a great, with, with in stride and with a grain of salt. I think he's a guy, he's a Texas X and I think he's a prideful guy. And so I, I'm the, the punt block is a struggle because like, Bushevsky held that thing. I think he still might be holding that punt. Like he held it for about 16 and a half years. Uh, we had a sweet 16. It got its license. And then he finally tried to punt it and it got blocked. Uh, but like, that's also on coaching, right? Like he should know that that clock in his head should have been screaming. Like, yes, you don't hold the punt for that long unless you want it to get blocked. Like his head, it, the timer has to be going off and that's on coaching. Yeah, you're absolutely right, right? Like, and, and, and when you've had one blocked already this season that almost turned 
another game, right? And and when you you know you earlier in the game shanked your first punt for 21 yards that set OU up with short field position for their first touchdown, like it has to be on your mind. And credit Bushevsky, he had a couple really good punts later in the game. In fact, I actually think he outkicked his coverage in a way when he gave OU 87 yards to milk the clock in the third quarter and really kind of uh, stall the game out there. Um, but you know, it's it's. It does come to coaching, right? And, and I think, right, you, you go to a field goal. And the field goal, um, we were – it was utterly unpredictable that OU's kicker would miss only his second ever of his career. But what happened before that is is UT offense just running on embers. Sam basically was tired. They chose to spy him, couldn't do anything. So, okay, we're going to get the field goal. We'll play some defense. Oh, wait a minute. Our field goal gets blocked. In a critical game when, when you have the ball first in overtime and you have to kick a field goal – there is no world in which that can be blocked. Like that just cannot be blocked. And so again, that comes back to our special teams. Obviously, the punt, the the, the punter getting a personal foul is is a, is a new one for me. That's a first. Again, set up OU with like a like a ten yard field to score, um, and that's tough for a defense. But you know, it's 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 a series of multiple special team plays over four games. And again, you have. No, no spring. We keep coming back to that, but I, I still would like to see progress. And I don't know that I saw progress from a TCU game where they seem to rectify a little bit of the, the, the tech mishap. Like special teams is now a worry for me for the remaining six games of the season. So I, I'd like to see some progress there. Yeah. And there's a, there's a 2021 pro kick player coming. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how that works out. But defense and special teams were not great. Quick pod Stradamus update. Kyle and I missed on both. So I, all three of them, I guess I'm currently sitting at a negative three. Kyle has expanded his lead, even though he <laughs> lost a point to two points. He has now. So he's up five predictions. I'm basically just going to every week. I've either, you got to go for broke at some point. And no, Gerald, I like what you're do I like what you're doing. You're going you're trying to get yourself in a hole and you're going fourth quarter Sam here, and I really like that. You only play with, with the pressure when it looks like the odds are insurmountable. So I, I, I appreciate the strategy. I, I really do. Here's here's the thing. I, I would predict for our Thursday show, like, hey, nobody gets arrested, and then like half the team decides to get in a fight, right? It's <laughs> so like I'm just gonna not make prediction. I may not make I may just rest on my negative three laws. But anywho, so Texas gets a bye week, a much needed bye week, potentially two, depending on what's going on with Baylor. And we will have a like resetting the conference show for you on Thursday. So now's the quick news whip around section where we often give shine to some other sports and we down the 40, but we do want to do a quick injury update. Uh, the aforementioned Chris Brown sprained his shoulder, a re-aggravation. He'll be in a sling all week and then expect him to be at practice next week. Roshan Johnson uh, re-aggravated an AC sprain. He's day-to-day. Jake Smith re-aggravated that hammy in pregame day-to-day with him as well. He, they expect him back by the end of the week. Caden Stearns, turf toe, couldn't push off. He didn't feel comfortable. Uh, again, another guy hoped to be back by the end of the week. And then Josh Thompson, an ankle sprain, which ankle sprains and hamstrings are the two worst injuries in football uh, yep. because – I would say worst injuries, but but most annoying injuries in football because you just never know what's going to happen with them. Yeah, and there's almost no 100% until the next season, right? You're going to play through some level of pain for the next seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. Doesn't matter. Um, hamstrings, especially, that's just so finicky. They can just flare up kind of out of nowhere. I'll just say this, Gerald. Uh, I hope Chris Brown, you know, takes a week to, to keep it in the sling and, and get his flexing muscles strong. Yet again, that's the last joke. I'll make it his expense. But uh, this was a weird thing to me. I, I mean, uh, 
many things didn't go in Texas's favor. So Rattler kind of, when they pulled him, they seemed to be nursing his shoulder a, a bit. And I think in the fourth quarter, or maybe the first overtime, there was an OU player, and I don't remember who, who got taken off. But other than that, I think every injured player on the field during this game was a Texas player. And and I'm not saying anything. I, I, don't, I don't have any greater comment than that, other than it's just like, man, it's bad luck. Especially when, when like, it seems to happen in Texas, they, they go by position and just, like, you know, attack a certain position last year, obviously it was running back this year. It felt, or this game, it felt like our safeties, we, you know, at one point in the overtime, um, when our like fourth safety was hurt, I just didn't know. I think Montreal still was out there, but, um, I, I didn't know who was going to go in because it, it, it had to check the depth chart. Cause we were on number like four and that's tough. That, that's just really, that's one of those factors that make winning really tough. Like you want to get so far ahead that you take some of those factors out of play. Absolutely. And again, injuries, uh, struggle, but it's, 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 you know what, that's part of football. Uh, another part of football in modern times, Kenyatta Watson, after putting his name in the transfer portal has officially announced he will be playing in his home state of Georgia for the Georgia tech yellow jackets. Watson was a, uh, one of the more explosive players on the team, uh, six, one, cornerback, a very, a very athletic guy, kind of rangy, uh, was a top one fifty. Can, a player coming out of high school uh, was the number 16 quarterback in the country if memory serves um, this is honestly the rare time where Texas has a guy who enters the portal and then actually decides to leave uh, and Watson's a guy who you know it sucks to lose because you need that you need that depth you need the type of athlete uh, in the secondary yeah, it's definitely a big loss. It's definitely a big get for Georgia Tech. There's a weird thing if people are just watching outside of the Longhorn universe where um, they're finally, finally taking advantage and trying to brand themselves as like Atlanta's team. There's no reason they shouldn't have been doing that and ceding the state of Georgia to Georgia, but being like the cool 404 Atlanta's team. Um, Kenyatta Watson Sr., his dad is actually um, kind of playing a big role in a lot of the recruiting going on in the state of Georgia. He, he um, was already advised in like a high school recruiting coordinator role and now is doing it in a larger uh, capacity. So I'm not entirely surprised to see him head back to the state of Georgia. I think his dad will, will, you know, have a lot of say for a lot of teams on who's going where in kind of SEC country, state of Georgia and stuff like that. So um, not surprised to see Kenyatta if he had to leave, head back there. But it's a double loss because, you know, you'd love to have Texas continue that Georgia pipeline, which uh, I think, you know, the, the, the three big ones that everyone knows about California, Texas, Florida, I think the, the second tier just a step down from that but that is you know ben electric has been the state of arizona and the state of georgia and texas has actually done pretty well in those so i don't want to see either of those recruiting pipelines take a hit uh with this or any other news absolutely Miss, missing on those georgia kids and and kenyatta watson senior is definitely a uh he's one of those guys that'll that'll push some kids in your direction if they're good not in a bad way but it's just like hey texas took care of us but apparently they didn't uh the number one texas volleyball team continued its just dominance of the conference. Uh, they swept Iowa State on back-to-back games, six sets to none. They only dropped. They've only dropped one set this season, which is absolutely ridiculous. These ladies are on a tear. Yeah, six zero in in on the season number one in the country. I think without a doubt, Logan Eggleston back to back Big Twelve Player of the Week. I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. I think that Baylor matchup coming up in a couple weeks should be the should be the big test to see. Absolutely. So Texas soccer. Speaking of women on a tear, Texas soccer. They've just been saving them up to just take out all their <laughs> frustrations. They beat Kansas State. 
Love getting a win over the purple teams. 7-0. And not just 7-0. Seven different players scored. They basically had a scrimmage. Uh, Gerald, you know I love beating Kansas State. Like, sometimes you just need to be the bully. You need to be Texas O'Doyle rules, and you just need to pick on the little guy. And Kansas State has gotten too big for their britches. We all know that. If you listen to this podcast for any time, you know I hate Kansas State with a passion. Um, so I love seeing this. Uh, like you said, seven goals by seven players is amazing. Um, these, this, is the, this is the worst loss in, in K-State program history, tied for the third largest in, in UTs. And this came from a little, I'm not going to say direct correlation, but there was a, a former Longhorn football player, a guy who you and I are very fond of his work on the field and off, giving the team a pep talk. Gerald, do you know who the uh, who the secret speaker was for the uh, the women before they unleashed the wrath? Was it Samuel L. Acho? It was, in fact, motivational speaker, former NFL player, former NFL player association rep, good friend of the podcast, Sam Acho. Hyping him up. Uh, I'll go ahead and call him the better of the two Achos. There, I said it. Uh, women's <laughs> golf finished second uh, at the hometown Betsy Rawls Invitational behind Baylor. That posted the second lowest score in the history of the tournament at 22 under. That is a uh, that's a big number, Kyle. Yeah, or a small number, however you look at it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll say this: Texas, pretty good. You know, you'd like to win your home tournament, of course. Um, the thing to remember in this fall season, um, and and this is a greater America conversation, is that probably two of Texas's or Texas's two best, if not two of their three best, certainly uh, golfers are not playing in this season. They'll be back in the spring, but we we mentioned her as competing and almost winning the European Championship last week. Agatha Lasney has been confirmed by Coach Ryan Murphy not coming back. She's staying in France. And uh, Sarah Kuskova uh, is staying in the Czech Republic. Um, neither will compete with the Horns due to COVID concerns because the rest of the world looks at the way we handle COVID. It says, no way. Don't want to go back there. They're a bunch of idiots. Um, so uh, both were all Big 12 golfers and expected back in the spring. Just a quick reminder, again, how good they were. All-American last year for Lasney, Big 12's player of the year in 2019. Preseason watch, watch list for the Annika Award, one who goes to the nation's top golfer. And then Kuskova actually is averaging 72-1-7 over six tournaments. Only two UT golfers have ever posted a better career mark than where she's currently sitting. So that's definitely going to cloud all of our performances this semester. Just wanted to uh, just wanted to give that context for our, our women's golf stands who listen to the podcast. And uh, shout out to No Rules Day on Twitter. That's two weeks in a row that we shouted out our uh, our European friends. He had a good time with our uh, our Kalachi talk last week. He's listening in Austria, Hungary, which is one of the coolest things that I've ever found out in my entire life. Men's basketball. Uh, hang on, the- hang on, Gerald. Let me let let me just say this. Any of our other fans anywhere across Europe, if you want us to give your country some shout outs here, I will find a way to work it in. Now, this like a Sam Ellinger in the fourth quarter was an easy check down um that's right uh yeah that you heard that pun um but uh that's right tweet at us tweet at the show at longhorn pod um and let us know where you're listening from we love hearing we've heard some from south america some across europe some of the african continent so wherever you're listening from the more uh exotic the better don't tweet at us and say the woodlands or something that's not truly exciting you can actually but we're not going to be that excited about it but if you're if you're listening from an exotic locale outside of the states uh, or, or even in a, in a, in a far flung state, let us know where you're coming from and we'll try to, we'll try to work you in Kyle. I'm excited that anybody has 
any reason to listen to the dumb things we say every week. So if you're listening to the Woodlands, thank you. Don't listen to Kyle. You're incredible. Uh, men's basketball, the draw for the Maui Invitational in Asheville. Um, they will. Oh, I can't even get through that. Like the Maui Invitational in Asheville. Like it's kind of like it, our. It's National not called Olympics that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> It's not called that. I definitely worked that in because I think it's funny and everyone needs to remember. It's still the Maui Invitational, but in Nashville. So, um, Texas opens against Davidson on November 30th. Yeah, and they, they actually get a pretty favorable draw. North Carolina, probably the, the best team, obviously, in this, this tournament, is on the other side of the bracket, along with uh, Alabama, UNLV, and Stanford. So, that means on Texas's side, if they beat uh, the the Davidson uh, Tigers, I can't remember, um, they have Indiana or Providence in the semifinals. So, basketball, not too far around. We should have a... Uh, should have a, a kind of pre-predictions uh, and, and, and primer coming up in a couple weeks for that. Absolutely. So we will have a basketball preview during our next bye week as Texas gets three of them this season. But now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? So, Gerald, I'm going to keep it in basketball, right? So if, if uh, fans were, were, were watching this this past week outside of just UT, there were some sports going on, namely uh, the NBA Finals happening in a bubble. I mean, obviously very excited. Dwight Howard won a uh, championship in Orlando, uh, just as we all expected. Uh LeBron James did what LeBron James does. It was a it was a a great finals. Jimmy Butler, Texas kid, um, had a uh, had a remarkable performance and run in it. But at the end, the 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 Lakers with with Anthony Davis and LeBron James won out. But the thing that I want to talk about, not just that it happened, is this ends in unbelievable title drought for the Texas Longhorns. That's right. This ends a one year title drought where the horns had to go without an NBA championship uh, after consecutive years of NBA finals MVP Kevin Durant the Longhorns had to wait an entire year so I've got a lot of Aggies who've been tweeting at me pictures mainly because he looks funny and has a hairline that that makes me feel much better um, of Alex Caruso Texas Aggie who won a championship I want to remind that Avery Bradley, who opted out, again, probably for the same reason that our golfers did because he doesn't trust idiots to not spread COVID, uh, opted out of the bubble and uh, still gets a ring, of course. The minutes he seated basically allowed Alex Caruso to get a little bit of floor time, but uh, there is a Longhorn, Avery Bradley, keeping us three out of four years with a Longhorn winning an NBA championship. Baha, but Gerald, as we are equal providers of men's and women's sports, it is actually four consecutive years of Longhorn Championships because in the off year for the NBA, that's right, our own Washington Mystics featured Ariel Atkins, who won a WNBA championship. So now for the fourth consecutive year, men's or women's Texas Longhorn basketball alums got to lift a, a trophy and be champions. I mean, we are what starts here changes the world, Kyle. What starts here changes the world, and that doesn't always include your professional leagues, but in the NBA, it's been fairly consistent throughout their time that what starts here changes the world. And the Texas uh, produces some, some good basketball players. So I am banging the drum this week on myself, actually, Kyle. So uh, since 2010, 
since really I moved to Oklahoma, Texas has been on a downwards, but I moved to Oklahoma uh, in the summer of 2009 for a job. I was the only job, if you remember what the economy was like, 2008, 2009, wasn't great. I had been working at a restaurant that I worked through in college. My lease was about to run out. I did not want to move back to San Antonio with my parents because I knew knowing myself, I'd probably just end up living in San Antonio for the rest of my life. Not there's anything wrong with that, but I just wanted to move somewhere else. And so I took a job in Oklahoma and that football season, Colt McCoy goes out in the national championship game. The Texas downward spiral began. I'm really actually banging the drum on Texas since 2010. Two and seven against TCU. Three and nine against OU. Three and seven against Oklahoma State. Four and four against West Virginia. Five and five against Baylor. Five and five against Kansas State. Oklahoma, I get. Oklahoma has been a national power, right? Like, and it sucks to lose to your rival, but Oklahoma has been one of the best teams in the country for the last 10, 15 years. Right. Um, the rest of them I'm, I are inexcusable in my book, TCU, like Gary Patterson's a genius, but like talent to talent, Texas should run them off the field. There's no reason for Mike Gundy to ever win a football game because I don't think Mike Gundy's a great human being. That's another conversation. Um, West Virginia, how? How? Baylor had a couple of good up years. You know, they they had that whole Art Bryles thing, and they had that whole Matt Rule season. But uh, And then Kansas State, again, like, there's no reason for Texas to not be one of the elites in the nation. Texas has the biggest funding, the biggest recruiting base, and they, they've got the ability to put up facilities that nobody else can put up, but Texas continues to be mired in mediocrity. And it's just for a guy who, and and again, I realize that I am among the privileged. I'm among the Texas 1%. I was on campus for Vince and Colt, right? Like guys of our age group, Kyle are are the 1% of Texas Longhorns. If you ask me, because we saw what the, what the program could be at its best, but that's the problem is that we've seen it and we know it's there. So like, what's it going to take for Texas to turn the corner? Because I don't know. There's talks about other coaches and I don't know if those guys are the solution either because it just seems like there's something in the water in Austin and it's not good. I appreciate you taking full responsibility for the downward spiral of the Texas football and maybe even greater athletics, men's athletics program um, in that time. That's right. Of course, without our our beautiful tennis boys and actually golf as well. So we're, we're, we're keeping the country clubs going, but I I will take a share of that credit, Gerald, because I, I, I don't want you to bear this load on, on your, you know, robust shoulders alone. Um, I started the Texas pregame, which you hear me mention at the end of this podcast every week uh, in November of 2012, started with what was then called the Friday pregamer against Texas Tech. We upset number 20. That's right. Upset Texas Tech. How sad are the state of affairs? Uh, Next week, we got a number next to our name, Iowa State. That week, we changed it to the Texas pregamer. The next two games, final two games of that season, we started at midseason, two purple teams, TCU, Kansas State. That was the Texas pregamer's legacy. That was also the last year, a promising year, that Texas got nine wins until you know 2018 when we got 10. We went eight, six, five, five, seven the ensuing year. So I will take some credit. I launched the brilliant, beautiful art that is the Texas pregamer onto the world. And in doing so, I somehow monstered the talent out of the actual players and put it into my beautiful prose. Sorry. It's our fault. 
<laughs> and you know what? It's fine. You can blame us. Keep listening, but blame us for Texas's <laughs> downturn. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find me on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. As I said, it's worth it, guys. To be terrible at football gives me a treasure trove of comedic gold to pick from. If you're not reading the Texas Pregamer, I truly don't know what you're doing with your life. It's very, very ridiculous, but it takes a couple minutes and it'll give you a couple laughs. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams anytime we have a football game. You can also shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. This changes nothing. OU still sucks. <laughs> <laughs>